Welcome to Talk Hard Podcast, Eric. How are you today, sir? Yeah, I'm good. How are you? Doing amazing. Doing great, man. Doing great. I've been excited about this show, man. I'm a, I, I'm a huge fan. I, I think you know yeah. that. I, I'm, I'm the guy always in your content, liking every single thing you put up. Um, I watch damn near all of your videos on all the different platforms that you do, man. So, I appreciate it. Yeah. How you feeling today, man? Is everything good in Miami? Because I, I, I look, man. I'm not jealous. I'm not jealous you're in Miami. I'm not. I am. I'm not. I'll just say it. The energy, the vibrations, and the energy is high in Miami today. And every other day, it's it's good down here, man. Environment, you know, is wonderful, and um, I, I just I love this little area of the world. It's cool. to come we're i'm coming down there bro i'm gonna crash whatever you got going on one night and uh we're gonna hang out 100 man waiting on you i do I, do you come to indiana much or the midwest i see you was just in the midwest you wasn't in indiana was you i was i was close but not in indiana okay yeah uh, but i've actually never been to indiana but i know you know over the last couple of years i've heard more and more and some uh some people that i know have started treatment centers out there and uh, I don't know too many people out there besides you, but I know a couple. And it sounds like there's a, a growing and solid recovery movement and a growing addiction treatment industry there. And it sounds like Indiana's busy. Yeah, man, there definitely is. I tell you, I've been in, you know, my July 1st, I will have eight years. And I tell you, it has changed dramatically. The, the, you know, as far as recovery communities and almost every town and every city has just dramatic. When I first started came out, when I first came out about recovery and I first, I had like a year sober and I started talking about my recovery and boy, it was, it was shunned upon, you know, eight, nine years ago. You can't talk about recovery on, on, on the interweb, you know, and, and it's just really good. And it's really, I'm really happy that people are being loud about recovery nowadays, man. It's, it's, uh, it's amazing. It's, it's it started a whole movement, you know? Yeah, no, no, you're spot on with that. So eight years ago, you got sober in what, 2014? Correct. Crazy, man. God bless. Thank you. I got sober in 2006. Congratulations, man. Yeah, no, thank you. And and I, I fully understand the change. And it, the last eight years have been dramatic. And the seven years before that, that I was around, even the recovery movement was different. You know, when you look at like when I got here, recovery looked like middle-aged where I'm, where I was from in New Hampshire, right? Which is, I think, I think demographically is very similar to a lot of areas in the in the Midwest, Indiana included. It's blue collar, salt of the earth people, lots of heroin, you know, that type of shit. And um, and you know, you walked into the meetings, and I was, you know, a couple months shy of 22 years old. I started shooting heroin at 15, and an oxycotton habit at 14 years old. And there wasn't really another heroin addict that was sober, like in the recovery community and no one near my age. And so even my first home group, you know, was me and a bunch of people that were at least 20 years older than me. And it was a men's meeting. It was like 60 dudes. We got together every Monday night and um, everyone was dramatically older. And so I've seen the evolution of the recovery community get younger um, you know, recovery becoming mainstream, becoming a popular thing, you know, even the boom of the addiction treatment industry. I mean, when I got sober in 2006, it wasn't until 2011 that the Affordable Care Act came out, which mandated parity that every insurance policy even had a benefit for addiction treatment. So back then, there was barely any treatment centers. I mean, you detoxed in hospitals, jail, or on a couch, rock and rolling you know, frequently. Yeah, and that's how I got this. I've been a you know I've been a treatment plenty of times, but this time around, that's that's how it went yeah. down. I want to say that too because when I first got into recovery and I was going to meetings, and you know, I I, I work. Uh, you know, I'm an alcoholic. I'm a I'm a I'm an everything, right? I'm a dumpster. So I, I used everything, but I thought since I used everything, I had to go to this this specific type of meeting and I would go in there and 
I just didn't feel right in there because nobody was talking about solutions. And, you know, I was at the age of 35 at this point, and I really realized that, like, okay, I got to get serious about this. I'm going, it's life or death for me. Either this is my last shot. I got to try this, and this is the only thing I haven't tried. I tried all the other ways to get sober. None of it worked for me. I tried this way. I have to try this way. Well, I would go into these uh, Alcoholics Anonymous meetings, and there was the guys that had 30 years sober, 20, oh. 20, 30 years sober, and the guys that had 30 minutes, and there was no in-between. <laughs> you know, there wasn't. And then and what really ticked me off, and I started speaking about this loudly and, and getting upset in meetings, is those guys with 30 minutes sober – the guys with 30 years weren't grabbing these people up and hugging them because they looked different because they were different, you know? And I really hated that. And it, it drove me crazy enough to where majority of people that were in my boat said, F this, this isn't for me. And they'd walk out and never come back. Whereas I took it the other route and I'm like speaking to these older cats, like, Hey guys, like this is what, this is what you guys are telling us that we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be the hand that reaches out and pulls these guys in. And you're not doing that because they look different than you. They got flat bills. They got Jordans on. They got, you know what I mean? And I just couldn't understand that. And slowly it started to happen with everything that was happening around, you know, around this community. And it it was a truly profound thing to watch all these old cats, you know, he's called crusty old man in these meetings. Now I'm one of them, but whatever. And to watch them finally open up and say, you know what, you're right. Let's, and, and then you look back now and all these old guys are sponsoring all these new young guys. And it's just really, it's profound. It's, it's amazing to watch because that's a, what I believe why we have people with three years, five years, 10 years now, because of, you know, that. Yeah. 100% man that's what this is about yeah well let's jump right in it man because I'm I really I want everybody to know because I'm like I said I'm a huge fan I watch what you do like as you know I I'm a co-founder of a treatment facility of, of three of them actually and I got five recovery homes and you know and while I we talk we talk a lot about purpose right and while I know deep in my soul that that's my purpose to help other people I do also, I, I, I'm getting into the business aspect of my life and I'm start, I'm really attached to real estate. I'm really like drawn to, 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 to buy something cheap and then remodel it and redo it and, and, and sell it. You know, I don't know what it is about houses and, and, and commercial real estate. I'm just drawn to, which really draws me to you. So I'm, I want everybody to know basically where, who you are, where, where you started, I know you started a whole revolution like, with the help of others. You started a whole revolution in your hometown, and I think everybody needs to know about that, man. Yeah, I appreciate that, man. I, um, You know, I grew up in a, a town called Salem, New Hampshire. It's really a suburb of Boston. It's like 35, 40 minutes north of the city, right on the Massachusetts line. I, um, you know, my my home growing up before my parents split was loud and, and had a lot of, you know, had a lot of loud going on there and uh, not a lot of peace. And, uh, and my parents split up in fifth grade and I started messing around with, you know, booze and weed. I started selling weed. I got caught for the first time. I've always been an, I laugh. I always say I've always been an entrepreneur. I got caught in my first drug sales charge. I was 10 years old, fifth grade, North Salem elementary school. <laughs> wow. Wow. Uh, yeah, you know, I was riding around on a Huffy. You know, I had a discman in my pocket with big ass headphones, listen to, you know, the loonies and Biggie Smalls and, you know, Tupac, Me Against the World when that oh, came yeah. out, packing a CO2 pellet gun and some older kids, I swear to God, this is real life, and some older kids in the neighborhood, you know, would started fronting me ounces and then quarter pounds of, of that brick swag weed, you know, cheap I shit. I remember it with the, with the seeds and the stems and shit. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> I remember it. And, um, and, you know, that's really where, where it started for me. And, and I was selling joints and dimes and shit in, in elementary school. And I got busted doing that. And then started drinking and then ecstasy. And then, you know, all the party drugs and the rave scene. And, you know, and then Oxycontin. Uh, I was 14, probably close to 15 years old. And, and a kid I've been friends with my whole life came over. And at that point, it was just me and my dad. My mom had taken off and uh, it was me and him living in a modest little house. And my room was in the basement. 
and you know he broke up a 40 milligram OC on on no bullshit on Eminem's CD case, the Slim Shady LP. And, Let me, uh, hold on though, like OxyContin. This is back in wh- what year? Huh? 99. 99. Wow. Okay. This is before they actually hit the scene. Pioneer of the fucking opioid epidemic, man. You know, I was going into the hood, copping heroin, and even the Dominicans were looking at me like, the fuck are you doing here? (laughs) It was like new for them, you know? And uh, we were some of the first white kids, suburban white kids to become heroin addicts. We were in my area, me and my friends were the very first ones to shoot dope. And to get an oxy habit and to like, like that whole opiate heroin culture fucking shit. Like no one did it before us. I don't, I don't think, I mean, literally across the board talking to a lot of people on their timelines, like this is a year that this is the the 99. This is the earliest I've heard of like, it was like 95, 98 when the medication became like a thing. And then I think it started getting pushed real hard come in that range so you literally were like in the beginning of the big medical push on the doctors which is big pharma it's crazy though like to think about that right like as addicts we can find anything right we, we find a way to escape no matter what i can make fucking advil dangerous if i really feel like it um and so to be that early on is is pretty crazy man yeah. But I feel like something at some point in your mind shifted. And I feel like as somebody that is going on myself five years, um, there was something pretty severe with that shift in me when it was like, I went from that obsession to like, nope, like I'm done. And I'm, it was, it was something that it was more than a spiritual awakening for me. So what was it for you? Cause you've gone from like that shift to a whole different level. I mean, dude, almost seven years, six years and change, almost seven years of shooting heroin, shooting Coke, eating Xanax and powdered vodka will just kick your ass. You know, yeah, that long of doing of living the life we live, man, you know, it'll it'll just beat you down. I mean, ever the you know, the book talks about incomprehensible demoralization, right? And um, it started off fun, it started off a party, it started off with a lot of people. And then, and then the world just starts getting smaller. You know what I mean? You break the hearts of the people that love you. You know, every time you see, you know, the most important people to you, mine was like my dad. And they just look at you with that like shame about you in their eyes. And like, they're, you could tell they're just so fucking embarrassed you're their kid and, you know, throw you out into the street and it, which well-deservingly was where I should have been. And, you know, being in and out of there and making the papers and getting in trouble and, you know, just lying on top of my lies to cover my lies and then lying some more and, you know, and waking up every day chasing, you know, 40 bucks, a hundred bucks, 200 bucks, scamming this, lying that, stealing this, selling that, get the money, get the dope, do the dope, start getting sick again. It, just like, no peace, no, never just like, you know, chill. Like it just, life is a goddamn war zone. Don't, and, you, don't you think though, every time like you're going, you know, you, you face that morning of sickness and then you're going to get a bag that you're just, uh, you know, you're just ho- like the whole purpose for me was to get that bag. And then my idea was I would just chill. And that never once happened. There was never any chill because uh, it was never enough. You know, no, no, just, just wanted that one, that one shot of peace, you know, so many you know. describe addiction. One of them is just exhausting. Yeah. It's just so tiring, you know? And so, sorry, what were you going to say? No, I'm just, I was talking about like, like, it becomes like a more than a full-time job. Like it becomes life where as soon as you do that dope, now you're stressing about running out of it. Yeah. Like, oh crap, now half of it's gone, which means I got to start planning already. So before you can even get into that, like I got high once and then I chased it until I stopped. (laughs) That's how I felt. Like I really got the enjoyable high one time and then I chased it until I finally was over it. Yeah, 100%, you know? And so you fast forward that, uh, you know, December 6th of 2006, I was like 140 pounds. I just got out of jail in Cumberland County, Portland, Maine. I, I had been up there for a couple of years in and out of programs and homelessness. 
uh, running the streets hard. And it's a, a very long story, but uh, in a, a, a desperate drug deal gone bad where a kid, you know, was trying to buy a couple bags of dope and I was dope sick and didn't have any dope to sell him, but he didn't know that. Um, I pulled out a knife and I robbed him in that he struggled. It gave him, you know, they said I cut his throat, but it was a superficial scratch really yeah. on his throat, but the paperwork seemed really bad. And, um, and the next morning I, uh, I was just done, dude. Like I was looking at a football square. If I got caught for that, I was going to do a long fuck. Maine does not play with their sentencing. And, um, and I was looking at a long time and, and the, they locked the neighborhood. I, I ran away and the police had locked the neighborhood down and, and all this crazy shit. And the next morning was December 7th of 2006. I woke up early. I'd only slept a couple hours. I took off and um, I ran back to New Hampshire and I've been sober ever since that day. And, you know, what's funny about that, and um, it changed my entire perspective early on, was one of those old crusty guys, uh, you know, the, in the meetings. They actually say some pretty cool shit if you listen. Absolutely. And, uh, Absolutely. you know, one guy looked at me and said, Eric, do you think it's possible that God used that situation to separate you from heroin and other drugs? Wow. And I was just like, damn. And so, you know, it's, I stopped at that point saying that I got sober on December 7th of 2006. And instead I say that, you know, God separated me from heroin, cocaine, and, and all other mind altering substances on December 7th of 2006. And he used what he had available. And at the time at his disposal, what he had was the Portland police department. <laughs> Fear, right? Fear, right? Uh, yeah, man. And so, and that, that's what started it. I, I kicked on a couch. I walked to AA meetings in the dead of winter in New Hampshire. It's cold as shit. And uh, I didn't have a license for the first 11 months. My first car was a $400 a month Volvo. I lived in a $550 a month apartment that I got when I was a couple months sober, you know, and, um, and I was poor as shit. And I went to meetings every day and I did what they told me to do and worked the steps and wrote an inventory and made amends and helped other people. And, you know, did what this thing was about. And that's yeah. what the early days looked like. It wasn't glamorous that, you know, all this internet stuff at the time, it's funny. You're like, you know, talking about being an addict or talking about recovery on the internet, you know, wasn't popular when you got sober. Like I got sober before MySpace existed. <laughs> you know what I, mean? like, I have, by the time MySpace, I got my first MySpace account. I'd already started my first sober house. Think about that. You know, holy shit! I'm in October 2008. I started the Granite House, 11 beds. So about that, how did that, how did that come about, man? Because you know, as you know, I I I feel like we got some similar past here, man. And you know what I mean? And and like, I was two years sober, and I just happened to had the opportunity. I, I'd been in recovery homes and I, several recovery homes, and I knew what was good, I knew what was bad, but I really had no idea what I was fucking doing. I had no idea, but I. I had the opportunity to buy this house and, and, you know, I was like, okay, it's a, t a five, six bedroom house. I want to do something. Of course, you know, we're all in recovery and I want to become a drug counselor or I want to be open to sober living. That's what we all want in early recovery. Right. Yep. But I got the opportunity and I, and I, I had no playbook. I had no, no idea what I was doing and it just, it turned into something truly amazing. And, yep. and, and I feel like that's kind of, I, I would love to hear how your story too. Dude, I was living in that apartment in the hood and, um, and I was, you know, I'd been walking and then I got the little Volvo, you know, cheap car to drive around in. And, and I spent most of my time doing service work at a state funded detox. This was actually funny back then. They called it a social detox. And that was just a really nice way of saying you're not getting any medication. <laughs> it's, a, it's a sweat so, out on the, on the bed kind of place. Funded, you know, they didn't even take insurance and you just would go there and they would give you a bed and, and rock and roll. And, um, you know, that's what it was back then. And I, I'd be down there doing big book, 12 step work with, you know, a lot of the guys that spent most of my time there. I wanted to open a sober house. I had lived in a couple up in Maine where there was some, but there wasn't a single sober house in New Hampshire. Right. And, um, and so I saw, you know, there's a huge need. These guys were in this 30 day state funded program coming in and out, in and out, in and out. And so I put together this idea 
and um, you know, my me and my dad, he helped me out in the beginning. And we bought a three-family home uh, in a little town called Derry, New Hampshire. And I had 11 beds and we bought it and I moved into it in October of 2008. And so I was uh, 22, uh, yeah, I think 22 months sober. And I moved into this thing and I lived there for the next two years. Um, me and 11 guys, you know, we, we, I had no fucking idea what I was doing. Um, but I had a big book and I had some beds and, you know, I gave it everything I had to give. And I look, you know, I will, I will never live in a sober house again with, with 11 guys, but I look back at it and it's some of the best times and, and memories of my life building community with those men. You know, we, we cooked on the grill together, you know, we fucking did everything together. We ran commitments, we we're in and out of the jail, in and out of the detoxes, we we're you know, working steps, we were praying, meditating, you know, writing nightly reviews together. I mean, we were just doing it. And, um, and it was a, a great time. I, and then, do you miss that? I mean, because like, huh? simplicity, do I miss? Yeah. Yes, man. Because listen, I was just talking to my friend, Brian Kendrick, and he, he's the one who was with me when I started the, and I too moved into this recovery home and I too lived there for almost two years. Yeah. And those were some of the, like, we just started talking about the other day because we're so wrapped up in life. Like I assume you are, like we all are, like we did, we're, tr we're on the grind. We're doing this. We're trying to do this. We're trying to get to here. We're trying to find our purpose and live in our purpose. And it's just a constant thing all the time. And we, we were just talking the other day, like, man, like we need to really think about like how amazing that was. We would have dinners together. Every Sunday we'd have these big dinners together where we'd invite the families and and we'd have this huge meeting and it was just this meeting where people would get pissed and people would cry and it was just life-changing stuff would happen in that house you know and i and i i, I miss the simplicity of it sometimes so do i yeah yeah you find a way to get back there let me know <laughs> <laughs> I, but i like stuff nowadays too so you know this thing a life of ours is has seasons and it changes and you know the truth is i look back and and god was using me in a big way in a very impactful way in the lives of those 11 men that i was surrounded by and then you know i it, it just changed and we were called to different things i i grew the program you know to a 63 bed extended care program which was getting clients from all over the country and then in 2015 pivoted and started opening treatment centers and uh and everything just exploded you know but at the time you think about it like you got sober in 2014 you were right in the heyday of of people dying starting to die fentanyl overdoses and all of that started happening and in my you know new hampshire the midwest both very bad areas for for that stuff um and so I know Ohio, I've never seen the data on Indiana, but you're close enough to Ohio that I have seen it that I can't imagine it's all that much different. I'm, I'm guessing it's probably equally as terrible for, for y'all as it was for us up here. And, um, and that stuff happened. And I, I think that's what it was too. Like fear got me sober too. I was literally, I overdosed a few times and I, I literally was watching all my friends die. And I, I yeah. know. You know. Yeah, I got sober a long time before that. Like when I got sober and for years after I got sober, fentanyl was in patches and lollipops. It's the only time you ever saw it, right? Yeah. And um, and people didn't really die from heroin addiction. Like I OD'd five times and ended up Narcan and on life support, but that's because I was a freak and I would eat handfuls of fucking Zanny bars and shoot gram shots of dope and like try to kill myself. You know what I mean? It was really uncommon. And I remember when I first got sober, I'd like, you know, on commitments, I'd be like, and I've overdosed five times. And the whole crowd would be like, whoa, you know, and then fast forward to like that era. And since then, and like these kids overdose five times in a fucking month, Absolutely. you know, yeah. and, um, and so, you know, that whole thing happened, which really supercharged a fire within me. And that's when Granite House grew into Granite Recovery Centers and, and just blew up. And, and, you know, I think that in that era is where a lot of that simplicity was lost for me. 
and the complexity of treatment centers. And, you know, we, we grew it to 440 treatment beds, 325 employees. And, uh, you know, it's hard to continue to be a, a man about the people and know every client by their first name and talk to their mom and, you know, know every employee and when, when something becomes that large. I think that's, that's, that's pretty much where I'm at right now is, is, you know, we, we got three treatment centers. Now we're opening our fourth and, and working on our fifth and, you know, and then I still have the five homes that are, that are pretty much run. I got people that run them, you know what I mean? They do very well. And then I go back every once in a while and I, I'll try to meet some people, but it's all new faces. Nine, 70% of them don't even know who I am, you know, which is cool too. But yeah, I, I think that's right where I'm at right now is, is in the process of losing that simplicity. Yeah. Sure. I think that's what keeps us sober in all honesty. Like for me, <clears throat> someone said to me, if you would chase success the same way you used to chase your dope, you'd be pretty damn good at this whole game, right? Like, why don't you chase the right thing instead of the wrong thing? And I was like, damn, that makes sense. So that's what I started doing. Like yeah. I got into that part of the chaos of my brain and started using it rather than allowing it to defeat me. And cause the chaos is still there. Oh, God. I still got 9 million voices giving me 9,000 ideas of a bunch of different things. I just wanted them to shut up for a while. Those scenarios that aren't even real. Right. right. Yeah. So I started using them to my advantage and using that as like my driving force. Now I chase the recovery and success of life the same way I used to chase my dope when I yeah. was Christmas morning, sick as hell, just trying to get to my parents' house, but I would find a way I would, get on that phone and I would do my little wheel and deal and make it you're worthwhile. Like, you're and, like, hey guys, I'm going to get some <laughs> gift cards today and I, I will be back. <laughs> I mean, I had built credit with my dealer. I was on that kind of a level where he would front me whatever because he knew I was good for it one way or another. Like that, when you were building credit in that industry, clearly you're doing it the wrong way, right? So I started you're, you're credit. You're you were a better addict than I was. I just robbed the fucking guy. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I think that's where it ends up. Yeah. yeah, that's where it ended up. Yeah, I guess that's true. There was a day where I had some credit. I had good credit for a long time. And by the end, you know, like you look, it's just the desperation of this thing. That last robbery I did the day before I got sober with a fucking butcher knife, a kitchen knife behind a building. <laughs> you didn't even have, you couldn't even afford like a, like a pocket gun. knife. No, I sold the gun like two months before that. I was robbing people the gun. I had a Walter uh, P22 gun and I sold it for 600 bucks when I was dope sick, like two months before that. And so I had this big kitchen knife and um, and I robbed a kid and, you know, a big gangster, tough guy. It was for 82 bucks. Uh, I got him for eight. That was my last robbery. It was $82. And I bought four $20 retail fucking bags and I shot them in a fucking closet hiding from the cops, you know? It was, it took $82 to get you sober, brother. No shit. $82. Crazy, man. God doing for you what you could not do for yourself right there. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. But if you so, talk, so, I thought I was Tony Montana, you know? It's, it's, it's crazy. Like, we think that we're, we're big shit out there, man. Because when, when I got to the end as well, I mean, I was sleeping outside. I, you know what I mean? I was sleeping outside. I never got into robbing people too much, you know. If somebody left a bag, you know, I would take the bag, but I wasn't really, I wasn't, I didn't get out in the robbery and stuff like that. But I, I got to the point where I had completely lost my hustle and I had, I had, you know, uh, the drug, the, the other, the fellow drug addicts didn't even want to be around me anymore. And it was hard. Like people didn't even want me in their trap house to sleep. You know what I mean? And, and, and that's, that's what it took is that desperate, that desperation of being cold out in the middle of fucking winter in Danville, Illinois, you know, and, and it was like the coldest winter that it had ever seen, you know, <laughs> like 11 below or something like that. Yeah. And I'm sleeping outside, man. And, 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 you know, I, I, I got in a, I got in a bar fight a, a week or two before and I'm hearing this dude got lifeline to Indianapolis and, and he, he might not make it and all these things. So that's, that's, that's why I talk about this fear, man. Cause that fear, the fear got me using drugs when I was little to, to try to be cool and, and try to, you know, fit in maybe with some certain crowds that, you know, cause I couldn't fit in over here. I couldn't fit over here in this crowd. All you had to do was stick a middle finger in the air and do some drugs and you were right in, you know, it didn't take a lot. And so fear got me doing drugs. And then I talk about this fear because I was scared I was going to do some real time. You know, I was thinking, man, 20, 20, 30 years, 
if this dude doesn't make it, who knows, right? Um, thank God the dude made it. I, I did a I did a year in the county and five years probation, but you know, fear got me sober too. You know, yep. fear has its place. Yeah, absolutely. So, so tell me, man. So, tell me what you're doing today, man. That's you know, this is this is. <laughs> I, I'm kind of look, dude. I'm looking at your life and the similarities from you starting at the bottom in the mud, just like me, starting recovery homes, them being hugely successful. And I don't mean monetarily successful. I mean actually helping a lot of people in and and what I deem is a, a whole community of people because you got the addicts and alcoholics that are in your centers, but you also got the family, the kids, the the ripple effect of that, right? And then, and now, now you kind of trans, I'm going to use this word, <laughs> you evolved, <laughs> you evolved and you're evolving, man. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, uh, switches that happen, you know, shifts that happen. And I'm very curious as to what, what shift happened from, from working into treatment and starting your businesses that way. And what, how did it, what, 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 what came about? That's an interesting question. I mean, I think one thing is I'm a student of the game, right? Um, a lot of people, I think, limit the size of their cup. And if you limit the size of your cup, it can it can get full. And if it gets full, that's great. You're full, but you don't have any room for any more. Yeah. And so I keep plenty of room in my cup every day to continue to be a student and to continue to learn and continue to grow. And so, you know, with that was I, I built this addiction treatment business. I scaled it. It got very large. When it got very large, I lost that mom and pops, you know, very much like I can tell about yourself, you know, running the group, seeing the clients with everyone. And all of a sudden this, this had to be a more professional environment, right? And so I, I had to professionalize that business in order for it to be successful and, and survive and continue to grow. In that process, I got interested in, you know, private equity and mergers and acquisitions and how do you sell a business and how do you evaluate a business and what's it worth? And so I really started studying that in 2017 and, um, and it was an interesting journey. And so I sold, uh, I had three rounds of minority sales through the business in over the course of a couple of years. And then in March of last year, I decided to pursue a complete exit. And, and that was after 13 years, you know, in the trenches running, running this business. And for whatever reason, man, I felt moved. I felt tired. I felt like, uh, like I had just accomplished everything that I was here to accomplish. This thing had grown bigger than I, um, it, it's, it very, for, there was a lot of indicators going on with me personally in my personal life, uh, professionally that, that just the seasons of life were changing for me and it was time for change. And so, you know, I brought the company to market at a great advisory team. And, you know, over the course, it, it took me 10 months and I ended up selling Granite Recovery Centers to a private equity sponsored business called Baymark Health Services. And I closed on that December 21st. And, um, and so I sold the business in its entirety. I retained the real estate. Um, right now, um, um, I've been the landlord to the business forever. Of course you did. That's, yeah, but now, yeah, with rising interest rates and, and, you know, uncertain economic future in the real estate markets. And I think, you know, we're in a, we remain in a good market, but I think universally, a lot of people agree that the, the, the future is uncertain. Uh, you know, we're, we're bringing that portfolio to market now. Um, and, and we'll probably transact and, and sell the real estate portfolio in the near future. It's a good time, right? It's a, yeah, it's a good time to sell. It, it is a good time to sell. And I, I guess, you know, anything's possible. If you had talked to me in March of 2020 when COVID was happening and the markets were crashing, I would have told you that this place was about to be a third world country. Like, I thought we were fucked. Yeah. And, uh, and clearly, we've had a great couple of years economically. So what do I know? But it's hard I to... Think, I don't think we've seen the, all, all the ripple effects of that yet either. I, I agree. And so, you know, so now the day-to-day -day is I'm developing a lot of real estate. Um, I'm, I'm 
you know, building a couple little businesses, I'm investing in businesses and, you know, we're busy, but also, you know, living life a little bit, man, you know, the, the New Hampshire addiction treatment, overdoses, politics, you know, just the, the, the battleground of what all that was and became and still is was, you know, a 12, 14, 16 hour day, 365 days a year. Not, I, I ain't slept in, I ain't slept in three years. I, I see you, and I'm, uh, you know, mutually, I'm a fan of the stuff you're doing. And I look at you and I'm like, I don't know that there's many people in the world that understand what your life looks like as much as I do for people that don't know you personally. Right. I look and I'm like, God damn, that looks exhausting, you know? <laughs> and so, you know, so we're living as well, you know, we we're doing fun stuff. We, we launched a rock chartering company where I see, I see your boat out there, man. Uh, and, and you out on your jet skis and, yeah, and I didn't yeah. know you chart like he. I was talking to Brian here, and Brian was telling me like you know that you, you charted those things too, and I'm like, of course he does. Why? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's just genius. That's your choice, yeah. making money, yeah. making money, They're having fun. Yep. And so you know we're we're doing a little bit of everything. Where you know what's up next right now is um I'm building out a coaching program. I'm going to take on some entrepreneurs on a one-to-one -one basis and, and, um, <laughs> I just got to say, hey, dude, uh, I'll, I'll fly out tonight. Well, probably can't tonight. That's, I would like to, I want to just spend a couple months with you, like right beside you. Just like this. Yeah. I just, you know, I really enjoy teaching. And so uh, here's, what's interesting in the early days of granite house, I taught every group, right? I mean, at the time there was, the, the, you know, I don't know what you guys' recovery philosophy is, but I was a 12-step guy and a 12-step guy. And when I got sober in New Hampshire, the big book didn't even exist in an AA meeting. Wow. Like, just don't drink, meeting makers make it. No. You know, work oh, a no. year you know, when no one's actually even working a step. I mean, it was crazy. And so the early days of the passion and the labor of love of that was very much around me teaching. And so the original 11 guys, as much of a conflict as it was, it was the only way it could get done. I was consistently taking those 11 guys, which was a revolving door through the steps. Yeah. And then on a larger and larger scale. And I mean, up until I stepped down as CEO, I don't know, what was that? 15 months ago, something like that, give or take. Um, I still taught groups every day. Really? Not every day. Uh, that's a lie. So, see, you know, I'm a drug addict. I'm lying. To you. <laughs> um, but frequently, right? I still was with clients. I was still teaching. I was still speaking. I was still, you know, doing all of that. And so now, you know, away from the recovery business, um, you know, teaching, I found, a, I found another passion of mine, which is teaching business and teaching entrepreneurship. And, um, and so... You don't know it yet, but uh, I'm your student. I'm going to be a student. So. Sounds good. <laughs> and so, you know, I really like that. And I, you know, it's, it's an opportunity. I, 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 because I've been a student of the game for a long time, I've, I've built a portfolio of knowledge and tools and connections and resources and skill sets that fuck, if I had been able to engage with me, if past Eric had been able to one-to-one -one with current Eric 10 years ago, it would have fast-tracked me. The time and money and frustration I would have saved would be unbelievable. And so I'm taking a very small group, you know, very exclusive. I'm not doing big numbers, but I'm going to work with a handful of folks. 11? <laughs> Probably less. <laughs> I just like the number 11. I thought maybe the symmetricals, uh, you know, yeah, symbolicness of 11. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, planning on doing weekly one-to-ones. And so 11 is a lot of people to talk to. And, and I want to keep it small and I want to keep it exclusive because the people that I have in this thing, I want to be able to give them everything I have to give. You have, yeah. a, you have a guest room there? I'm just curious. <laughs> That's extra. That's the immersion program. <laughs> so but, Brian, Brian can have a question. What, what, uh, what would you say to your so we're, advice? 
I, I'm seeing a big shift in the market myself, right? Like I'm more concerned with the mental health aspect of what's going on in the current frame that we're living in, because as we know what fear does to people, I believe the fear mongering that's happening on many levels um, oh. is a little scary, but what looking forward with your experience now, what would it look like is, is your move? Like I, I, I feel like your move right now is a pattern recognition move. Like you're recognizing the pattern amongst yourself that you saw teaching is something that you've been doing since minute one. And so as you recognize the pattern, that's where you're taking your passion, which is amazing. How do people, if you were to speak to our audience, like where does that, where does that drive you? And, and, and how do you navigate through that while staying in this sober space? Cause there's a lot of stress that comes with that, right? Like building anything comes with stress and that's typically where a lot of them started getting high. And so what does that look like for you on a daily basis is that that devil still sits on your shoulder, no matter what, right? It doesn't just go away. It's always there on some level. And what does that look like? Like we're coming into an interesting space of, of investing of business moves. Like everybody's afraid of everything right now. I'm afraid to fill up my car sometimes. <laughs> Honestly, truthfully, you know, what does it for me? I started off on the run for armed robbery with half a trash bag full of clothes, sleeping on a couch. The big level up, which I've fucking one of the happiest days of my life was fucking getting the keys to a $550 a month apartment with a fucking busted ass couch. One of those couches, when you sat on the cushions, you sank to the floor and I slept on that thing for the next three months. Does it matter? Just be grateful for what you have, right? It doesn't matter. It's, just, it's gratitude. And like, it, it, I think of it like this, like, I don't think I'll, dude, I'm a long ways from getting back to that apartment. Like a lot of shit has to go bad. <laughs> go back there, you know what I mean? Yeah. But at worst case scenario, if been. I had to go back to that apartment and I had to go back to that, you know, detox program with the commitments and the meetings and the big book and the, you know, the George Foreman grill and the family packs of chicken and the ramen noodles. Like I was happy then. What would stop me from being happy again? Yeah. It's interesting that you say that because a lot of people say that money fixes everything. Right. And I I don't feel like it fixes anything. It just creates a different type of problem. Like the problems are problems no matter what. They're just different. Money, money is very much like fucking steroids for life. Whatever you're doing, it's going to amplify it. If you're miserable and unhappy and you're looking to money uh, to fix that, like you're just going to be in way worse condition than, than you were before you found money. Like, and so, you know, money does a lot of things. It provides you access. It, it gets you cool stuff. It, it allows, I think the biggest thing that, that people get fucked up is the difference between freedom and happiness. They're not the same thing. Right. Like uh, self admittedly, I've done very well and, and, you know, wealth has allowed me freedom, right? Like I can go and do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it, but that doesn't make me happy. And, um, and happiness is not derived from wealth. It's not derived from freedom. And that's, that's an inside job, you know, and recovery teaches us that uh, teaches us that. And so, a lot of people get lost on the path with that stuff and it complicates their life. I'll tell you something, you know, on this path and Marty, you talked about the simplicity, right? The more success I found, the, the more complicated this thing gets. You want to see all your relationships in life change? Go sell your business for more than $100 million. <laughs> I tell you, turn your shit upside down. You know, you only think you know people. And so, you know, all of that stuff, it takes strict discipline. It takes knowing yourself. It just takes chopping wood and carrying the same water that we did in the beginning now, you know? I hope that makes sense. It does. It absolutely does. I, you know, going, like, I think... Honest to God, like I, I got my first apartment, you know, after I did a year in the county, got out to a year's house arrest, and I I went into a sober living for about six months of that, saved up some money, got in, got my first apartment, and in my first apartment, I didn't have a car, I didn't have a driver's license yet, but I yeah, I could walk to meetings, I could walk wherever I need to go, uh, but I had a a mattress on the floor, 
no mm-hmm. couch, mattress on the floor, and I had been saving and I did layaway for my first TV at Walmart, yep. at the old Walmart. And I had my very first TV that I bought with actually, you know, I didn't buy off my buddy for $20, you know what I mean? Or, you know, a shot of dope. Uh, I had my first TV and my couch, on uh, my my mattress on the floor and this little one bedroom apartment where it had cockroaches every once in a while and had to do some spraying. Uh, but I, dude, I remember being so fucking happy like that. It's the, I literally had been spent the last 25 years in the madness and chaos that is addiction. Right. And, and, and on the streets and sleeping in and out of prisons and jails and hospitals. And just like, here I am, I, I got a bracelet on, so I can't really leave my house and I'm just laying on this mattress watching, you know, I, I had a DVD player too because I didn't have cable or anything. So I'm watching this uh, same movie over and Kingpin was the one I, that comes to my head. I don't know if you ever saw Kingpin, but I'm watching Kingpin for the 30th time and I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I'm just like, man, this is, I'm yeah. living it, bro. You know, so. And that, what's, you know, you look at that, it's, it's just fucking gratitude, man. Yeah. It's just gratitude, you know? And so it's easy to get lost in all that stuff and the complexities of, you know, more money, more problems. And, you know, now I have a couple crazy houses and, and a boat and a plane and, and fucking cars and, you know, and all this stuff. But it's like just getting back to the basics of like, dude, I didn't wake up dope sick today. And like, I got a place to live. And like, just my fucking dad's proud of me. Yep. I'm just going to say that the first time I was... And, you know, no one wants to hear this shit from the guy that has the shit. I used to think the same things. I'd hear these motivational speakers say shit like that. And be like, all right, motherfucker, shut up. You know what I mean? Like, I want give me that shit then. You know what I mean? Well, you know, this is something I know to be a fact, too, because then I heard you say this in one of your videos, and I, I got to really thinking about this. It, thank God that everything I've gotten and everything that I've acquired and, and, and everything you know, that I've had to work on and build, I've had to, it, it's, it's really, it's took a lot of work. It was really slow and nothing was just given to me. Like yep. you said something about like, if you got a hundred million dollars right now, how, you know, you, I would, I would fuck it off. I would, I would completely lose it. I would, you know, it, it takes, cause it's the discipline and all that stuff that you have to, it's, it's inside. If you don't, if you're, it's falling in love with the process is what it takes because if i if i'm just working for that end game i want to get this this and this and i'm working for that i'm never going if i was to get that i would just lose it i gotta fall in love with what it takes to get there and that's one thing that that's it sounds like for you as well that's the one thing that's kept me grateful and and you know, in, in love with what I do is that I'm in love with what it takes to get there. Like you said, you was a, you was an entrepreneur at, at 10, 10 years old, you know, and I, I feel like I was too. It's, it's, it's something that you're either born with or you're not. And so many people out here are trying to acquire it because, you know, as Gary Vee says, it's a trending thing. It's a cool thing. And it's cool to put on your, your Instagram name that you're an entrepreneur, you know, but are you really, you know? Yep. No, man, I, 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 I fully understand and comprehend that, you know, and, you know, one thing to finish my previous point was that I was saying is I hope that everyone that thinks that wealth is the answer. I hope they get it. I hope they fucking catch it because I hope that they have that moment where they sit back and they're like, well, this isn't what I thought it was. <laughs> and this shit isn't as cool as I thought it was going to be. Uh-uh. You know what I mean? And, 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 uh, and, you know, I hope they have that moment because once you're able to ring that bell and finally catch what you've been chasing, it, it, it forces you back to look at yourself. It forces you back, right? Once you fucking get there and you scratch that itch and you're like, well, fuck, this is cool, but it ain't that cool. And like, yeah, I got a new fucking whatever type of car and a new whatever, but like the shine wore off of it and it's fucking dirty and needs an oil change. And now I want that car. I hated the last one. You know what I mean? Like, and, uh, but no, you're exactly right, man. It's, it's falling in love with the process, dude. Like December 21st, I sold the business for nine figures. 
And the next morning I fucking woke up and drove and, you know, almost two hours down to Fall River, Massachusetts and the freezing ass cold, looking at some mill buildings and meeting with the mayor because we're going to build some apartments down there. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, most normal fucking people would have a nine figure exit from their business and like have a fucking trip waiting for them to go to an island. Dude, what is the date today? It's fucking May 17th. I haven't, uh, I haven't taken a day off. Did I sold my business in December? I have not taken a fucking vacation, let alone a day off. Yeah, it, I think I think everyone. I love it. I love the shit that I do. You know what I mean? Like, where am I gonna go? I love this shit. Yeah, it's when you when you when you're working in your purpose, when you're working, when you have found, and that's what I, I you know. I try to push everybody to do. Don't do that because you, you like what it looks like. Like there's something inside of you and that's that drive. That's that motivation. That's that, that's that reason why you want to hit your, your feet, hit the floor in the morning. And if you, if you can find that, which I refer to now as your purpose, as your calling, like if you can find that, like there's, you don't work a day in your life. And, and, and that's so cliche to say, but it's absolutely true. Like I, I work seven days a week, you know, and I've been at this grind for, for quite a few years. And I really don't feel at the end of the day, you know, people, people who see my life, they're like, oh, my God, Marty, you work. You got to stop. You got to take that. But I don't feel like I do. You know, I feel like I'm in what I'm supposed to be doing. So it doesn't seem like you know work. What? don't fucking listen to them. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. They're not what you are. Like there's a lot of different types of breeds of cat, man. And like, I, I just, I'm very selective with the people that I fucking let mentor and coach me. And like, you know, those people are fucking well-intentioned and, and probably think that they have your best interest in mind, but like, man, you're not a domestic type of cat. Like you're not a nine to five guy. Like, that's just not what you are. And they don't understand that and they don't understand you. And so fuck them. Don't listen to them. Hey, love and respect for your journey, brother. That's what you fucking do. That's cool. But like me over here, like I'm doing absolutely everything that is on my heart. And like, like, I'm not going to regret what I'm doing. Like, and you just have to have enough certainty to turn the noise off. You know what I mean? Like when you think about it, like even ask the question, like, what are you doing? Fucking talking to them about it anyway. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Are they better at this than you? Do they have something to teach you? Did they make more money than you? Uh, do they have a fucking uh, recovery fucking quality that you want to learn? Is it like, a, like, what is, what value does this teacher bring to my life? Cause there's a lot of people out here teaching, but not all of them are our teachers. And fucking, if you're, if you're like open eared and listening to fucking everyone, it's like trying to tune into every radio station like, man, you got to shut that fucking noise down. And then the people that you listen to is, are the people that, that have something to offer, that have something to teach. Like, brother, if you don't, I can learn from fucking anyone, bro. I can learn a life lesson, no bullshit from fucking the homeless dude fucking in front of Starbucks that I'll still sit on the curb and spend 45 minutes with fucking talking to. Tell me about your journey, brother. I love doing shit like that. But when it comes to business, like, you know, gen there's exceptions, but generally, like, if you haven't made more money than me, like, I don't know. <laughs> and you're not going to take <laughs> business. What the fuck day is today? What day is today? Tuesday? A, a week ago today, I, I had dinner with a couple that, that built a business. Unbelievable story. They built a business that originated loans to healthcare businesses. And then they sold the paper, they, they packaged the loans and sold those off into the financial markets. And, and they exited, they sold their company for a billion dollars Wow! in 2017, five years ago. Wow. And now they, they, they've built $600 million of multifamily real estate. And uh, the guy's name's Bobby Castro, his wife's name's Sophia Castro, salt of the earth people, started where we started, minus the heroin fucking blue collar work boots fucking from nothing and, and work their way up. And like, that's a guy I listen to. You know yeah. what the guy tells me? I don't work enough. <laughs> I'm like, all I do is fucking work. What are you talking about, Bobby? You know what I mean? 
Well, I, I think you're right. I can learn anything from anybody and I take little, you know, and everybody in my circle has got something that I want or that I like or that I resonate with. Being an entrepreneur with a fucking uh, a killer instinct in a recovery circle is a difficult balance because you're going to, the recovery thing's funny. Whereas if you weren't in recovery and, and if heroin hadn't fucked your life up, right? you probably would have just been an entrepreneur because you have that thing. And so if you were just an entrepreneur without recovery, then you'd be hanging out with other business owners and other entrepreneurs, and that would be your world. Yeah. And so how you live would be the societal norm in your social circle. But recovery fucking equals the playing field. You got people in Section 8 housing fucking hanging out with the lawyer hanging out with the carpenter, hanging out with the treatment center, like our lives and who we are. It's a, the beautiful thing about recovery. Yeah. It, it equalizes and levels the playing field, but you know, and so like I can learn about meditation from the cat, you know, that's on section eight housing who goes to the fucking yoga. Like not to say that that guy can't teach me something, but he's not going to teach you. He's probably, on my business life get the fuck out of here you know what i mean what are you talking about you see what I'm saying and so that's why it's dangerous we're like and i've had sponsors that have done you know you got to calm down you got to take over the world and you know you, you're trying to do all these things and i've had them and i'm like man be like let's just stick to step work and god how about that your job your job is to walk oh, me through the steps 100%. Yeah. Uh, guys, I got like five minutes left and I got to wrap. I got to go pick up my son. Well, let me ask you this one last question kind of to end it off because, uh, one, I'm, 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 I'm going to need that spare bedroom. Uh, two, don't, you don't even get to you know, two. Uh, so if, like, if you was to go back and this could be two, two parts, if you want, if you was to go back to who you are now to at the beginning or maybe when the shift happened where you, you started to get in a feel of, uh, you know, going from, recoveries, 11 people in a house to, okay, opening treatment centers. But what advice would you give to yourself 15 years ago or 10 years ago? Or, or it could be, what advice would you give to somebody just starting off? Maybe a mistake that you made or, uh, or uh, something you didn't uh, go after because of fear or somebody, you know, somebody, all the, the, the voices in your head telling you, or the, you know what I mean? What advice would you give somebody or yourself 15 years ago about, yeah. The most valuable thing that I did that was, that was instrumental to my success was I continued to invest in myself and the business um, in, in more ways than one. And, and really two main ways. One was financially, I lived for a long time, incredibly below my means. And I consistently put all the money back into the operation and back into the business for growth because growth costs money. And then two, on a, on a daily and weekly and monthly basis, I constantly was learning. And so I became a, a Swiss army knife master of all the verticals of the, the industry that I was in, which like you was addiction treatment. So studying and, and, and understanding, dude, I can, I'm not a doctor. I don't pretend to be a doctor, but I can fucking run a conversation with my medical director and my clinical director. And I understand the DSM and I understand all the different models of therapy and I understand digital marketing and I understand call centers and I understand licensing and joint commission and accreditation. And I understand operations and I understand you see digital fucking ad words and pay-per-click and, you know, and so like just, just going hard on the information and learning it inside and out. And that really made me incredibly proficient at, at building that business was my obsessive nature of wanting more information and knowledge. And I take it, I take it that's the exact same thing you did when you got into say real estate and mergers and all that stuff as well. Oh, you just everything. become obsessed with it, right? Yeah. Absolutely obsessed. You know, you know, and people, 
dude, if you don't know what it's like to fucking, you know, negotiate hours of your sleep to learn more then me and you aren't the same thing. You know what I mean? Like people are like, well, Eric, I need to get to bed by fucking 10 because I got to be up at six. Yeah, I did too. But I went to bed at two and I got those four hours up on your ass. I get it, brother. I get you know it. what I mean? Like I drank more coffee <laughs> and uh, it, that's just what it is. And, and, you know, so the pursuit of knowledge, the obsession of information, the work ethic, you know, and, and the persistence and the ability to, to circumnavigate adversity because none of this shit is easy, yes. you know? All right, Eric, I appreciate you, man. Yeah. Uh, it's been, it's been amazing having you on here, man. And I'm looking forward to, to more conversations and weaseling my way into that guest room. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I really I, appreciate you, man. Really. Yeah. Thank you. Absolutely. All right, peace. Peace. Thank you.